0: I'm a paleo I'm a, paleo I'm a paleo Don't you understand? I'm a paleo Hey, Ray. I'm a paleo David. Here we are again, go? man.
1: Here we are. <laughs> How's it going? So much paleontological news.
0: Yeah, you know, there's there's a dinosaur a week now. There's, there's this, there's that, the other thing. And actually, David, I'm kind of embarrassed because, like, we're. We're wearing the same T-shirt, dude.
1: Yeah, I know. We're supposed to have some sort of a fashion policeman check our wardrobes before we do this podcast that you can't see. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway.
0: Well, we do screenshots, and if you've got a screenshot, we're both wearing the Paleo Nerds T-shirt.
1: I have a sad announcement to make. Uh, some of you may have known or remembered or heard Arthur, my doggie. He passed away on Friday, and so... Uh, R.I.P., what a good doggie he was.
0: Oh, man. You know, I I feel for you. And Arthur has been in the background and, uh, you know, uh, it has interrupted a few of the shows. Yeah, and, yeah. And I know Arthur is a big part of your family. Yeah. And uh, there's something to, you know, having, you know, animals as friends is really important. He's a know? member I, of the
1: family. And yeah, uh, they yeah. say that a dog will bring you many, many good days and then one bad day.
0: Yeah, and I'm sorry to hear about Arthur, man. Yeah. I I only got to meet him the once, I think, when I was yeah, down there seeing When I
1: hosted you at my palatial hovel.
0: You've moved since then, but yeah. I saw Arthur yeah. in the old place. Yeah. How old was Arthur if I may ask?
1: Arthur was uh 10 and a half. He was a black lab and uh they don't live much longer than 12, 13, so he uh yeah, he he had a very charmed life. I mean, we literally took him camping a week ago and he got to have a cheeseburger on, uh, in his last moments. So,
0: oh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice.
1: But you know what? You sent me an article that humans have been feeding animals for thousands of years. But I realize that you sent that to me because you either are guilty of feeding <laughs> the crows and changing the corvid habitat in Ketchikan, or
0: they've deserted you. Well, they they have, and I've been feeding the ravens, man. But the other day, oh, did I, I say went... crows? You said crows. Well, you, you know, keep so. saying
1: there's cravens. Cravens. There's cravens. ravens and crows at the dock where you do there this. There are.
0: There are ravens and crows. And actually, I figured out that the crows are over on Pennick Island. You know, that oh. seems to be their roosting spot. That's right so they across over. from
1: Ketchikan. When you're downtown, that's, that's right. the island you see across from Ketchikan.
0: That's where they're all roosting. And then I figured out that the ravens are up the hill. But actually, yeah, about a month ago, they. They abandoned me, man, and I was like, what the hell's going on? It's it's summer though. I mean we're coming on into summer yeah. now and and uh the ravens and crows maybe don't need the uh winter food that we humans provide, but um they're also I think they're all in love, Dave. It's that <laughs> that time and uh <laughs> they have other things on their yeah, mind. Okay.
1: They have other things like making little raven babies.
0: So really, I've been seeing them like, there they are. Like, oh, they are they haven't gone. They're over there doing private things. They're building wow. nests and yeah. they'll be back.
1: Yeah, they'll be but back yeah. and you'll continue your Corvette experiment.
0: And what is cool, though, as you said, you know, humans have been feeding animals, you know, there's... Fossil evidence of, you know, uh, Cro-Magnon and Neanderthals that probably had pets. And as we all know, uh, dogs are basically split off from the wolves. And it was the domestication that happened. And we started feeding the wolves.
1: Now, about 10 years ago, it was understood that dogs descended from wolves. And then genetic analysis came out that dogs and wolves have a common ancestor.
0: You know, I think what this calls for is ah, a, yes. a dog person.
1: Yes. You know what? Let's, let's get a dire <laughs> get wolf. A let's get a, a dire wolf canine expert. All right. Score, score.
0: Let me, I've got um, one. I've got one lined great. up. Uh, we'll we'll uh, tell you more about her when, uh, when I get a date for sure. So,
1: okay, fantastic. So we have a great uh, and very interesting and, uh, uh, What a guest today. She has done some amazing educational and outreach programs all over the country, not just
0: where she resides now, which is... She's in Bozeman, Montana, at the Museum of the Rockies. Right. And she is? she. We're talking about Ashley Hall. I met Ashley about 10 years ago. I was just actually looking up in my book, Fossil Coastline. She's been all over the country working as a paleontologist. Yeah, yes. But she was working at the L.A. County. She's worked at the Tar Pits, but she was also... I met her at the Raymond Alf Museum.
1: Where Gabe Santos
0: works. Yeah, wow. exactly, exactly. So... Ashley Hall is who we're talking about. She's a great science communicator. She has a huge social media following. Cool.
1: I want to get into sauropod toenails.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right, let's do it. Call her up. Yep. Hey, David Strassman. Meet Ashley Hall, science communicator, educator, naturalist, and paleontologist, outreach manager at the Museum of the Rockies in Bozeman, Montana. Ashley, hello, meet David. Hey.
1: Hello,
2: David. Nice to meet
1: you. I've never been to the Museum of the Rockies, and I saw that giant exhibition you have of these Mosasaur heads everywhere. It looks absolutely insane
2: absolutely it actually just left we're so sad Treebold paleontology created this amazing exhibition called savage agencies and it was so amazing to stand next to something as large as archelon so yeah yeah it's off to its next location now so hopefully it's coming to a museum near you
1: that's so cool so i've got a very important question are you a paleo nerd yes (laughs) yes <laughs> prove to, it
2: to the extreme prove yes it oh. prove it okay okay Uh-oh.
1: oh my god you have a parasolophilus <laughs> tattooed parasoloph- yes. on your arm <gasps> yes
0: now how do you say that
1: parasolophilus parasolophilus
0: well, parasolophilus david
2: it depends on where you're from Parasaurolophus. if you say Sorolophus you know because Saurolophus is a dinosaur, right?
0: Right. You know, actually, actually, and when I grew up, I called it Parasaurolophus all my life until somebody <laughs> said, hey, no, 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 you're saying it wrong, Parasaurolophus. Well, so.
1: when I grew up, we called it the Jurassic Park horn call thingy, right? <laughs> Didn't Dr. Alan Grant use the horn to try to call a dinosaur?
2: That was a Velociraptor oh. <laughs> chamber. <laughs> Sorry. That was... No, you're close. Yeah. Uh, Dave Weishample actually it was like, uh,
1: designed... It was like a, three, a yeah. 3D printed piece of a skull, which would reproduce the audio sound that the creature would make.
2: Yep. And that was that was actually a really cool thing. We have a, a similar structure to that on display here at the really? Museum of the Rockies. Um, but actually, Dave Weishample, the hadrosaur expert, um, designed that Parasaurolophus um, sort of series of PVC tubes back in... Uh, was that the early 90s? I think that was the I early 90s. I think it
0: is from the early 90s. But you know, before we dive deep into Parasaurolophus...
1: Wait, wait, wait dive. hold on. Wait, hold on. I just got to say one thing but, about... But my confusion is because that big, huge horn on the paraserophilus is a... They think is a sound-creating device. Is that why I'm all confused?
0: Well, that's what I wanted to get back to once we had her story. But let's dive deep. Well, here we are with Parasaurolophus. Ashley, tell us what that is in the head there. <laughs>
2: So Parasaurolophus, first of all, is my favorite dinosaur, and so much so I got it tattooed on my arm. And so um, I can see it all the time because it's the most beautiful hadrosaur there is, I think. And um, so that you have this giant tube-crested dinosaur that has this giant, almost trombone-like structure on its head. And um, this is actually a really cool structure that is is a hollow structure, and so the um, idea is that they take in air through their nasal passages, push it all the way up through this giant crest, and then it comes back down, making a very uh, loud uh, series of sounds, um, supposedly maybe to alert others or attract others or warn of danger,
0: all sorts well, of things. Well, so. do you think, who was the first person to really come up with that idea? I know the idea was there that it was maybe for display, like, hey, this looks cool. But and were the only only the males that had these, or do the females also have the crest?
2: It's it's actually well we don't know um, first off because hadrosaurs um, it's really impossible to tell the sex. Really,
0: there's uh, no don't sexual don't dimorphism. De-
2: no, there's no sexual dimorphism yet. Um, actually, here at the Museum of the Rockies we have the only uh, female T Rex on display, and that's B Rex. And so you can tell the difference between a male and female T. rex, not by their structures on their head or anything ornamental, but the uh, medullary tissue or extra calcium that's deposited right, right, down right, right. in
1: the. From through pregnancy.
2: Yeah. So birds today store extra calcium and you can find it in their They store it in their bones.
0: But the idea that the, the parasyrolophus was using this like a mating call as well as for display. it it just so actually this circles back. You fell in love with this creature maybe at the age of five or so. Uh, I was just reading really? about you. I met you uh, 11 years ago at the Raymond Alf Museum. And uh, Kirk and I were working on our uh, Fossil Coastline book. And he describes you as a fossil-obsessed person that you uh, started out <laughs> at the age of five. Aren't we actually, all? And <laughs> you yeah. would be the person that would always, because you knew the genre and species of everything, you begged your parents all the time to drive to the big cities of uh, Chicago to see the uh, museum there. So what's your background? Where are you from? Tell us that, yeah. that origin story.
2: Oh, man, we go way back. I know. It's been a while. Um, so I grew up in South Bend, Indiana, home of Notre Dame, if you're a sports fan, and you know, our closest museum was an hour and a half away. Um, and I really don't remember the first time that I fell in love with dinosaurs. They've just always sort of been there. So I think it was my parents um, getting library books for me and, you know, taking me to the Field Museum, of course, and really just kind of um, uh, helping my passion thrive, right, through any way they could. And and I, I had this pink parisaurolophus. It's a bye, little... Bye play school dinosaur and i still have it today it was my very first parasaurolophus and i don't know why i fell in love with this tube crested hadrosaur but you know for kids it's usually like t-rex or velociraptor or something but um this was the the best dinosaur well you know it's it's, it's i gotta say stayed that way it's a
0: very elegant looking dinosaur you know just it's there's just so beautiful and so you're obsessed with it. Did yeah. you draw these dinosaurs as a kid?
2: I did. Yeah, um, yeah I actually grew up uh, drawing dinosaurs, um, reading about them, watching um, uh, old documentaries, which actually I have refound found again really? on YouTube. Which ones? About... The beauty of the Internet is you can yeah. find right. um, what used to be VHS now uploaded to YouTube. <laughs> uh, and the YouTube. quality and so is so watching... bad,
1: too, isn't it?
2: <laughs> it's so bad. So I was watching these documentaries, um, you know, when I was four or five years old on Jack Horner and Bob Bacher, right. who you guys just had yeah, on the had show. Yeah, had both those
0: guys, yeah.
2: And so as a as a young girl, those were my, my heroes, and I wanted to grow up and be just like them and move to Montana, and
1: hey!
0: Well, there you are. <laughs> Back up a little bit. You were kind of a different little girl in a way, because I, I know that I've <laughs> seen, you know, I've followed you on social media, and I've I've known you all these years. I've met you just uh, in 2010, but you're kind of into... Spiders and snakes and stuff, you know. That's not a yeah. typical thing You're for a, a little kid. An entomologist. Did you have? Did you I, have spiders as yep. a kid?
2: No, but I. My parents will tell you that I always brought home cicada shells. Ah. And now we are coming up into that, you know, massive uh here year again.
1: Yeah. Brood X is happening yeah. right now, actually.
2: And so I would go outside, and I'd find these little cicada shells all over the place and bring him in and be like hey mom look isn't this cool and she'd be like oh my god <laughs> let me let's put that back
0: wow so, so yeah
2: ray i love uh i love spiders i love being outside i love i love the animals that um that people don't love so much
0: well you know i was reading uh the description of when we did meet that kirk wrote and uh, i had forgotten as i remember it Kirk and I actually met you at La Brea Tar pits first, and then, like a week later, we are at the Raymond Alf Museum, and like there you were again, and you greeted us, <laughs> yeah, yes. and you took us through yeah, the collection, so... and you were showing us all the bones, and so, like what was up? You were working two museums, or yeah, more? so
2: actually i um I was working in l a when I met you at the l a County Museum of Natural History, and as an employee um of the education department at the l a county Museum. You also get to work at the library Tar Pits, oh, wow. so you get a two for one. Wow. Um, so I was going from the Dinosaur Gallery, where I was interacting with visitors and talking to people. Is this on the, the new Dinosaur about... Gallery,
1: the new one? Right. Yeah,
2: yeah, the one that just opened in is uh, it 2011? And um, and then I was heading over to the Tar Pits and actually doing tours out in the uh, the excavation sites and and talking to the public. And so I've always been um, sort of on the front lines of. Paleo education communication, which was super fun.
1: Is there anything at the tar pits that you uh, really thought was extra cool?
2: Absolutely, yeah. You know, the Librea tar pits is the world's leading museum when it comes to Pleistocene or Ice Age fossils. And so, you know, if you want to look at the smallest little diatom up to the biggest Colombian mammoth, they've got it all. So. Every single size of every single fossil has been preserved there, and it's just amazing. So it's really hard to pick a favorite, but um, I was able to work there in collections on a publication with our friend Don Prothro. Wow. And uh, he and I actually co authored a um, publication about uh, birds and if they change in shape or size over time.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, fantastic. From Fossils at the La Brea?
2: Yeah, because when birds land there, you know, birds are really light, they're very <laughs> fluffy, and so when they land in, in oil or asphalt, Should right? I
0: tell her? <laughs> Dave's got a tragic story that, well. I've oh, told no. it before, but uh,
1: La Brea Tar Pits is my first museum. I grew up not far from there in Southern California in West LA, and as a kid, I saw a robin stuck in the tar, and it, I had to been seven or eight, but it put two and two together, I realized how an animal can be entombed. I felt sorry for it, but I also went, wow, this is how these fossils are made.
2: Yeah, oh my gosh, (laughs) that poor bird. So You know, in my my times as a tour guide there, I did see lots of tragic uh, entrapments (laughs) because it's still happening today, so.
0: (laughs) Generally, the rule of thumb was um, uh, save the people, but if it's an animal, walk away. So you were putting together a living yeah. commuting between these museums. And then not long after that, you actually got married. You married a, a paleontologist <laughs> yeah. and you had a Jurassic Park themed wedding. I want to know. Yeah, how, how does one have a Jurassic Park themed wedding? <laughs> and you oh, met it's, your husband Lee. it's
1: easy. You have a Jurassic Park cake. Come on. Yeah, what, what did that look like? Yeah, what what, we what did. you
2: doing? Well, so, right. So I was working when I met you at the um, L.A. County Museum, La Brea Tar Pits, Raymond M. Alf Museum as assistant curator there. And um, I was, I remember talking to you and just being like, Ray and Kirk, I'm so sad. I don't have anyone to talk to my, you know, to talk about paleontology with and to really have as my very own paleo nerd. And, uh, you know, dating in L.A. was really difficult. And so, um, you know, I was dating actors and musicians and, you know, these people that that don't quite understand the paleo nerdism that I was quite into. Yeah, yeah. And so I ended up looking on OKCupid, the free dating website, oh, as wow. I was <laughs> expanding my range from... Um, from Southern California to North America. And really, (laughs) I literally put in the search bar paleontologist and Lee popped up on like the sixth or seventh page. No way.
1: You found your paleontologist husband on OKCupid. That is fantastic.
2: And that's a story for another day. I'm sure we can spend all day on that. But he and I met and really hit it off. And he was actually in Hell Creek at the time. And uh, was a MSU student in paleontology. And so we met and uh, two years later got married. And we had our wedding at the uh, Santa Barbara Museum in Natural History. It's a great museum.
1: Great museum.
2: Wow. Gorgeous museum. And we had uh, had a pterosaur as our ring bearer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Love it.
2: So we had uh, our other paleo nerd friend, Nate Carroll who is working on his PhD at USC right now, made a pterosaur puppet that is a a baby giraffe-sized as darkened pterosaur that um, ended up being puppeted by him and our friend Sarah, and they walked this giant stork-like pterosaur up the aisle, and it gave me our (laughs) rakes. So that is one way that we had a Jurassic Park wedding, but we actually had um, Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler on top of our cake. Oh, Oh. Uh, We had little fossils made of fondant all over our cake. Wow. We used the uh, the instrumental version of Jurassic Park to walk down the aisle too, and then we had little touches all over the place with dinosaurs and...
1: That is so nerdy.
2: The nerdiest thing, though, is that on our guest book table, we had, and this was like the, the most extreme thing. We had a puppet sort of like faux arm of Mr. Arnold on our guest book table that was bloody, like with fake blood.
1: <laughs> Wait, who's Mr. Arnold? It was
2: Mr. Arnold in Jurassic Park where she, you know, Ellie Sattler's going through Samuel L. Jackson's character. Oh. And she's like, Mr. Arnold, Mr. Arnold in the... the, the arm falls on her and it's all oh, bloody
0: right, right, right. <laughs> Ooh, that's kinda of demented. I like that. I keep thinking so of So we uh, had
2: that as like a pen holder. Yeah. The ring
0: the ring bearer being uh remember on Pee Wee Herman there was Terry Dactyl? Oh that's remember right yeah. terry Dactyl, you know but and then you went on a honeymoon, didn't you? And uh We did So there was a kind of a segue there not there?
2: We did, yeah. So after you and I had met <laughs> And talked, and, you know, we're talking about your book, and we became huge fans of your art, and just, oh, we just had such a longing to go on a a paleo vacation. And so, Lee and I took the time, and we actually took your book, and your book was our guide for our paleo fossil freeway road trip.
0: That's cool. Fossil freeway honeymoon. So, did you actually yep. go? To, I'm just curious. Did you go to some of the sites that we talked about and met some of the people we met, or
2: we absolutely did. We took the book. We went from LA and we drove through um, Nevada, Utah. Wow. Um, went down to um, we actually excavated trilobites down there with um,
1: where, Arvid. Where in the okay. Marble, Marble Mountains?
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. No. In um. In oh, Utah. Wow. Uh, where the, oh gosh, I'm looking at my map of your, I have your map on well, my wall okay, right yeah. here, so Ray, I'm, I'm looking at you it.
1: You put together, <laughs> Ray puts together these amazing bullet points for all our interviews. He does this homework, which I'm very grateful for. And on it, it says, Ray, California trilobite hole. What is that?
0: <laughs> well, I, I came across a picture of Ashley like holding up a beautiful trilobite. Yeah. And a California trilobite. And I said, whoa, Dave's going to want to know where that is. <laughs>
2: So yeah. yeah, Marble Mountains is an amazing yeah. area for trilobites. Been
1: there with my son. Yeah, we collected some there. Some of yeah. the earliest trilobites. Wow.
2: But Ray, thanks to you, we had such an amazing road trip. And the work that you and Kirk put into that book was just phenomenal. And actually, when we'd go to a place where, you know, that was in the book, we'd read through it and be like, oh, that's actually on our way. Can we stop there? Let's read about it. What did they do? What did they see? Um, And so we had the best time, you know, looking for ammonites the size of bathtubs and <laughs> um you know or sinks and um and looking for trilobites and stopping at all these like little obscure museums and it was you know a
0: whenever you see those roadside rock shops and little museums one must stop you gotta yeah. you know, if you're a paleo nerd you gotta go there did you go to the great dinosaur um diamond that that area in utah moab and yes yeah.
2: That was actually the best place we went. We stopped and, and visited with our good friend Rebecca Hunt Foster and stayed with her overnight. Oh, nice. And she showed us uh the now Mill Canyon track site, which is phenomenal, and got to see uh theropod tracks, sauropod tracks. Um there's an alligator slide track. Really? That you can see where the alligator slid down into the water.
1: Oh my goodness. Um,
2: and this was before it had beautiful, you know, because now it has interpretive signage. But this was before it had all that. And uh, we got to walk amongst the dinosaurs, which was really wow. fun.
1: What is the diamond? What compromises, what cities or places
0: is the uh, dinosaur it's diamond? It's on the, we talked about Well, it's about in your it. book, Ray. It's, it's which the, book is it? It's in the Fossil, fossil uh, freeway, freeway book. The first is. book. The first yep. And it's, it's an area that you can actually do go from... Uh, the Dinosaur National Monument down to Moab, and then on up, and you can kind of do it's a big trip, diamond shape, yeah, Western Utah, Utah. into Colorado, and right. um, yeah, some yeah. really cool stuff. And so, but along the way, uh, you did actually you get you got an undergraduate degree, and you have done uh, besides science outreach, you've worked on some scientific papers and that kind of thing. And I saw somewhere too in your resume, you kind of specialized in sauropod. Feet,
1: yeah. Or did some yeah. work,
0: and Dave and I were talking about that. And, and I have a question. Pretty I have cool a question yeah. about that.
1: <laughs> you and Lee studied sauropod feet, and what you did, which was unique, is you studied the tracks they made, so the trace fossils, yep. which gives you a different view of. Well, you're you're viewing the the animal in motion. You're viewing it at a point in time on one particular day. And you're not seeing a skeletal structure. You're seeing a fleshy imprint. And what you found was that these toes, these toenails, which are pretty big, yep. they kind of curve in, right, when they walk. Like my little pinky hides under one of my, uh, my pinky toe <laughs> hides under the next toe like it's like it's kind of get, getting out of the way. And it looks like three claws kind of hide. Why? Why do they do that? Yeah,
2: so this was actually an addition to another study that my husband, Lee, and Denver Fowler did. And they were looking at sauropod feet um, for sort of digging nests. So you guys had Luis Chiappe on recently, and he discovered Acamawevo, right. which was like the most massive, amazing egg site. And um, so these sauropods were actually digging these giant trenches and laying their eggs. And so what my husband and Denver were looking at is how the uh, claws overlap in echelon sort of shape in order to scoop out dirt and sort of throw it behind them in order to excavate these areas to lay their eggs. So we took that one step further and then said, well, you know, there's sort of been um, sort of hypothesized idea that sauropods are maybe also using these claws to um, get themselves out of mud when they get kind of mired. So here at the MOR Museum of the Rockies, we've got a, a site called the Mother's Day site, <laughs> and the Mother's Day site. And when you come into the museum, is a giant square of um, sort of dinosaur feet and mud, and um, that's about it. It's a bunch of bunch of mired legs. And we were wondering if sauropods were able to use their claws in thick mud in order to free themselves and to sort of instead of be post holed down in. Use those claws to create air pockets so that they can remove their foot back out, and so we looked at hundreds of tracks around the world. Wow. Um, we contacted people that have um, taken photos or had uh photogrammetry done of the track sites, and were looking for substrates where they may have gotten stuck and What we found is they weren't actually using their claws to unstick themselves, and there was no evidence of of at all of actually um uh, that behavior and so um you know, the Mother's Day site here in Museum of the Rockies is actually now um, been reinvestigated, and it's not a miring site. It's actually a site where they, I think, were died, and they died and sort of were in one area. It had nothing to do with them being stuck. It had more to do with the geology.
0: So the Mother's Day site is a sauropod trackway site?
2: Yeah. Uh, it's not sauropod trackways, but it's more of a sauropod boneyard.
0: Oh, wow.
1: But doesn't wow. it make sense yes. if something so huge that weighs so much that it's going to curl its toes underneath to form a larger hole. uh, A a larger uh impact so that it can support its weight.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so when we were looking at sauropod feet, you know, they've got also can we talk about their hands? Well I was I was
0: (laughs) curious about the hands because you know I've been I've drawn a lot of sauropods in my time and actually as a kid I just had little toes. But then I realized that the closer I looked at the sauropod, Feet and they're basically their arms. They're these yeah. massive in the forelimbs. They're these massive claws. Are those defensive, Ashley, or, or what's that about?
2: You know, so sauropods, they have super weird front feet. So the back feet, they've got these claws that are, um, they form like a, a scoop shape in the back and we know sauropods are making nests so they're making nests with these back feet hmm. the front feet are these weirdo hands
0: yeah if you will
2: <laughs> and some yeah some sauropods so a lot of them have this big thumb thumb claw the first digit that is a big spike and then they have literally no digit they have no fingers really? it just goes to to metacarpal all like an elephant. time
0: Kind no, of, it's like yeah. it's got no toes. It's just got the thumbs, and then there's just the knuckles, basically, right? Uh, but is there so, is there any
1: comparative anatomical foot structure to, in anything no. today?
2: It's so weird. So, for example, imagine taking your your hand and stick your thumb out. So make a fist, stick your thumb out, and then walk on your knuckles. Right. That is that is how sauropods walk. So that's a sauropod foot right there, front foot. And so they are missing all of these fi- these fingers um that we call fingers they call digits, right, and so we don't know what these claws were used for if it was used for uh, defense or fighting other males. Uh, we don't know if it was used for like hanging on during mating or something you know weird that we can't see well,
1: it a horse is it a horse's hoof the, the middle finger it's turned the middle into finger. a giant yes. yeah, turned into a giant uh right. Yeah, so it's basically running around. Stop that! Stop giving us running around in the middle fingers. Hey, stop that!
0: But what is what is interesting is that these sauropods have just basically got these massive thumb spikes, sort of almost like an iguanodont, right? In a way. Yeah. But here's a crazy theory: maybe they use those to kill their prey, and they're not actually, (laughs) you know, vegetarians at all. Herbivores. They're carnivores. We've gotten it wrong all these years. I think, right. okay, Ray, Ray, you know what? We'll
1: talk to a coprolite expert. And uh, <laughs> oh, wait, I've got a question. Yeah. I've got a question. So you love these giant sauropods. Yeah. Is it yeah. true? I mean, okay. In Jurassic Park, they showed a, a pile of poo that was six feet tall. And, and I mean, gigantic. Has there <laughs> ever been a fossilized coprolite found that size? Or is that just Hollywood?
2: actually here at the museum have one of the largest coprolites and we've had extensive coprolite studies done here karen chin who you guys should definitely have on the we, show we're, we're is trying one of my we're angling
0: we're England, get karen yeah yeah we are
1: she's the poop
2: queen yeah.
0: <laughs> so how
1: big is it
2: well it's it's about the size of um like a truck i think it's like a truck type size. Wow. okay yeah, it's massive. Now, the biggest uh, carnivorous coprolite is up in um, Canada. And that's a, a huge theropod coprolite that's been determined to sow because it's got a high phosphorus, it's got bones inside. Um, but, you know, herbivore poop looks very different. And so, you know, myasora poop, for example, that we find here in Montana is full of um, leaves and um, decayed wood and And all sorts of like real fibers. So you can see
0: undigested plant material. Yeah, Ashley, what exactly your giant turd that you've got there? (laughs) What is we could say that on this podcast? I think we say turd and poop. Can't say I can't
1: come on, Ray.
0: We won't say (laughs) that, but I have to edit this out. Your big turd, no, you don't have to. The big turd, what's it from, Ashley?
2: (laughs) No, uh, I don't think any studies have been done. I think it was from
0: an Iowan tourist. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. Well, there was that. But but I'm wondering, is it Cretaceous or is it Jurassic? At least that'll help yeah. me dial it in.
2: Museum of the Rockies here. We've got Cretaceous, the, right? The world's biggest collection, pretty much of Hell Creek right. Formation. Okay, so yeah, Late Cretaceous. So it's probably a
0: gigantic duck bill, as it were.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and to answer your Jurassic Park question, you know, there were poops that were big, and no doubt about it, because when you have an animal that's a multi-ton sauropod or tyrannosaur you know when they go to the bathroom of
1: vegetation a day
2: yeah we're not talking about little rabbit pellets you know we're talking about (laughs) you know jeff goldblum sized uh standing standing next to it digging through it so you know i think one of the most important aspects of jurassic park was that real life stuff that you don't think about yeah you know what would it look like when a dinosaur would go to the bathroom
0: Well, here's my question to you, Ashley. You've you've been yeah. obsessed your entire life with dinosaurs and all things prehistoric. You have the coolest job because you're a science communicator. You just get to talk about dinosaurs and everything prehistoric all day long. Is it is it still fun for you? Is it is it ever like oh, I gotta go talk dinosaurs again?
1: Ray, how could you even is... ask that?
0: Oh, come on! Oh no, my god, well, this is I'm leading the witness here to. <laughs>
2: So actually that's a really important question. Um let me back it up a little bit. So in my career, I have decided to go the paleo education route mm-hmm. and not the academic mm-hmm. route. And um I I kind of want there to be known that there's more careers in paleontology than just academia. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys have talked to a variety of people with varying degrees and you know, there's also different disciplines and so In the world of museums, you really need experts to talk about these things that know their stuff. And for me, I read scientific papers. I participate in scientific research. I'm always looking at the newest things coming out because that has to be communicated to the public, too. And so I've always loved being able to take the newest science, incorporate it on tours, talk to kids about it. You know, this morning I just greeted kids that are coming into the museum on field trips because we're getting field trips back here again. And I know it's so much fun. And and the first thing I say is, you know, welcome to Museum of the Rockies. I'm so excited you guys are here because we have the world's largest collection of Triceratops and T-Rex in the world. And, you know, to say that and to get them excited about it, the classics, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean,
2: I worked in the Cleveland Museum, you know, where... We had uh, no dinosaurs in Ohio that were actually found there, but we did have Dunkleosteus, which is right. the, the Coolest. most impressive yes. fish yeah. of all time. Hey, is, there a, so, is there a
1: big five? Like, you know, you go to the Africa s- safari <laughs> and they say, D- we saw the big five. Is there like a big five of, of uh, dinosaurs? But It would probably have to be a there Cretaceous, is. T-Rex, Triceratops. What would it be?
2: Oh, you're right. So Ray can help me out. So T-Rex triceratops what do you think ray
0: well your classics uh stegosaurus. stegosaurus i would say brontosaurus yeah but can we still say that we and can't. triceratops
2: yeah so well it depends on what formation so if you're talking about big five of montana you've oh, got to pick which formation right, right. well
0: want, we can't so. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, how about the mesozoic let's just say the mesozoic well the the rattling Asian them dinosaur. off. But, you know, there's sort of old school dinosaurs and there's the new school dinosaurs. Like, so the kids might be saying the cool hip kids might be saying Troodon and Raptor and Deinonychus. And, you know, in my generation, it's Brontosaurus, Allosaurus, you know, Stegosaurus. <laughs> there's so many new cool finds, you know. And,
2: Let's go with top five of the museum. Okay. How's all that? right.
0: Well, you tell all us. All right. So
2: top five in our museum. So we've got T-Rex. So we've got, um, oh, gosh. I don't even know how many T-Rex we have. There was just a study done counting T-Rex, so maybe I should look at that. Um, so we've got T-Rex, Triceratops. Myosauro is our state dinosaur of Montana. We've got um, Deinonychus.
1: Wow.
2: And we've got Diplodocus. Wow.
0: You have Diplodocus? I was going to say it's... And is a Hadrosaur.
1: Mm-hmm. Deinonychus is a Velociraptor, Right
2: uh a yeah it's a big it's a big, raptor. big it's a big raptor yeah
0: i would say too you've got a whole lot of duck billed there we've got Edmonosaurus, we've got um allosaurus we're
2: talking jurassic yeah. we've
0: got big al here <laughs> so. i mean the big al oh, big wow. al it's one of the biggest all well wow. hey so you do you love your job you t- get to talk paleo get kids excited every day moms and dads and all that but do you sometimes also talk, because being a science communicator is basically what Dave and I are doing right now. We're making yep. science engaging. We hopefully. And fun. educational, and fun. And fun. Because, you know, science yep. can be pretty dry. Do you talk to some of our scientist friends and tell them how to speak English to people and, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and not not be so hung up in the terms? Because I read these scientific papers and my head is spinning and I know the jargon. You yeah. know, but it seems like this sort of can't you just write it in English in a paragraph? No,
1: you can't. Yeah, you can't. If you're talking from a scientist to a scientist,
0: no, you have to. Still. You have to
1: be. You have to be uh, frugal <laughs> in the amount of words you use, right? You have to be very descriptive in a shortest amount of of time.
0: They'll get very. You know very, what's really they'll get funny very very technical, about- but I think mm-hmm. they are also lacking sometimes in basic communication skills, and I think that's where. It, keeps people like Ashley and I and in, in, in a job. Over to yeah. you, Ashley. I
2: mean, you know, what's interesting, though, is that there's a whole new generation that's come up of science communicators that are also academics. And so that's why now you'll see people on Instagram and TikTok talking about dinosaurs and their prep work. And, you know, I think kids having grown up now with With social media and actually communicating this really cool stuff to the public is really helping also. So I think there's a balance there. Yeah. But, you know, in my in my world, you know, I've given workshops on science communication and how to how to do social media and make it fun and interesting if you're a researcher. So I've definitely taught some of our friends how to How to speak a little better and more clearly to the public, especially for different age ranges, too. There,
0: There's various books and things out there, how to be less of a scientist and, you know, a better communicator with your science. And uh, Yeah. yeah, so it is it is a challenge. Do you ever get pushback from the public? I mean, we've had we did talk to Rebecca Hunt Foster here recently where she had people come in and that didn't even believe in dinosaurs. Do you encounter that from time to time?
2: You know, I haven't yet. And I don't know if it's just a matter of time or what it is. I think the people that actually come to Museum of the Rockies want to see the real thing. They want to see the, the, what we have. You know, there is a discrepancy in how old they think it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's the job of really a, a good museum exhibit. And so it's not only on the part of the person that you're speaking to on a tour or whatever, but the exhibits also have to back up the science. And so you know, one of my favorite exhibits on, um, on radiocarbon dating and uh, uranium-lead dating and all these different techniques we have is actually at the Utah Museum of Natural History. So, you know, it's a beautiful institution. They do a really good job with the panels. And um, I have encountered people like that in L.A., actually. <laughs> but the, the funnier ones are when people would come by the fossil lab and they would ask if they were real
1: people. <laughs> <laughs> you mean at the La Brea Tar Pits, they have a little fossil lab where people are, yeah. are sorting microfossils, yeah.
2: And I think they meant, I'm not sure if they meant real as in like actual humans or if it was actors they're just and tears.
0: They were probably wondering if they were actors, you know, it's LA, you know. <laughs> so what makes paleontology relevant to our daily lives?
2: You know, paleontology is really fascinating because there's a, an aspect of nostalgia you know, for people, they, they've heard about them as kids, they they see them, they realize they're real animals, and then you can sort of go from there with, like, the new research. So there's different levels that you reach people at, because, you know, Ray, we have people that come in and say, oh, what happened to Brontosaurus? You know, I remember, you know, as a kid growing up, we had Brontosaurus, and well, what's what's going on with that? Is it not a dinosaur anymore?
1: <laughs> like Pluto. So, Pluto's not a planet. yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> And, um, and so there's, there's different ways to reach people and to make it relevant to them. But, you know, for most people, it's the fact that we have these animals and they're not here anymore. You know, they're not what happened to them, you know, and it kind of helps you tell the story of Earth. So in that regard, we can kind of segue into what's happening with Earth now and climate change and what we can do to keep the species that we love around today.
1: I think what's fascinating is how big they were how big mm-hmm. when you're standing under a T-Rex skeleton i mean to to imagine something that's 20 tons with teeth coming at you it's it's mind blowing
0: yeah actually i uh, going down memory lane here for me i remember being in kindergarten in alabama mobile alabama and i had a dinosaur book and it was saying that this uh you know was brontosaurus was 60 70 feet long and i remember asking my teacher how how long is 60 feet you know yeah. and i'm just saying <laughs> three here school to there.
1: buses yeah because
0: i'd never seen a skeleton you know before that so i had to imagine and that's when it like oh wow that just kind of blew my mind and and when you see those 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 dinosaur bones for the first time some of those reconstructions do you remember the first time you went to the field museum ashley
2: Oh, I can't pinpoint the exact day or time that I went to the Field Museum, but it's it's in my deepest sort of subconscious that just you know there. every time I it's there you know every time I walk in and and to, to this day um, it still is my favorite museum. And when I walk what? in,
0: you you're at the you can't say you're at the Museum of the Rockies. Come on, it's
2: it is <laughs> it's still my favorite. And you know, you guys had Jing Mei on, and and she's yeah, such yeah. a rock star. Yeah. She's yeah.
1: There. You know, it was weird. My, I lived in Chicago for six years, and my memories of that museum are the mummies, not the paleontology yes. part. Their large collection <laughs> of stolen Egyptian mummies.
2: Well, you know, I wanted to be an Egyptologist as really? well when I was young. Oh, so oh. that was the field museum was like the creme de la creme. And I don't know if you remember this, but still to this day, when you go to the field museum and you walk in, do you know the smell? Yeah, can you smell it of, right yeah, now when you think about
1: it? I think it? I do. Yeah, it's is it old and musty? Yes. <laughs> it's a very specific yes. like That's mix me, between dude.
2: taxidermy yeah. and like
0: <laughs> stone yeah. and the yeah. lobby and Well, a lot of museums can smell that way, but you know, I yeah, I got to say yeah, the field museum is pretty cool, you know, that that big open space you come in. Museum of the Rockies though, you really are your collection is so astounding. And one of the things you walk in there, the displays are really cool. But to go through your collection rooms is also just astounding because there's just so many. There's piles of T. Rex bones and Triceratops skulls galore. It's it's an amazing place. I'm coming in July and it's
2: amazing yeah Yeah. and you know we're not allowed to um to really do do much back sometimes we do live streams back there but it really is another whole gallery because these oversized specimens you can't put into a drawer
0: yeah and so you walk in
2: and there's just triceratops all over the place Yeah. like
0: how many does one need
2: take them up so many
0: a couple of books now, Ashley, and uh, fossils for kids and gems for kids. And uh, how did that all come about? What's when did you decide to get into the book biz?
2: Well, it's really funny, actually. And thank you. I Oh, my gosh, these books are my heart and soul. And I just I, I loved that I was able to produce something that kids could have and take with them anywhere they go. It's a great size. It's really digestible. Parents and kids can enjoy it. And I've had adults straight up just buy it and <laughs> have it as sort of their cheat right. sheet for paleo. Right. My big goal with these books was to to make science and paleontology as concise and accessible for for all ages. And so, you know, it really came about, um, it dropped into my lab. Really? They, they actually contacted me off of Instagram. Oh, really? oh. Cool. And it was one of those interesting things where I didn't know if it was a scam or not. You know, you see these sort of like emails, it's like paid opportunity. And you're like, oh, delete. Yeah. Uh, and so I opened it up and it said, you know, we're interested in in seeing if you're in, interested in writing a book with us. And we want it to be on fossils. And I had to read the email over about five different times. That's and so, cool. so, you know, I worked with Callisto Media on this and they were really fantastic. and.
0: So it's, it's a whole uh, series of books. They have other books in this line well, you, for kids? Well,
1: Fossil for Kids, and then there's Gems for Kids, which just came out.
0: But there's others in the yeah. line, right? So you're part of this whole thing for the...
2: Yeah, Callisto has a junior scientist series. And so okay. if your kid or, or niece or nephew is interested in a number of subjects, there's space, there's um, you know solar system, there's reptiles and snakes, and uh we did the the fossil section and and more recently this past year we were asked to do a second book, which is Gems for Kids. And that's actually my other nerdy passion is mineralogy. So that oh, was a fantastic. really fun book to do. Yeah. You know, I was that kid who was running around outside putting rocks in their pocket and you know, collecting um, you know, those tumbled stones you get in gift yeah, shops.
1: Yeah. That <laughs> you put your you you shove your hand in there and it feels so good. So smooth.
2: yeah. Yeah, so that was definitely, I was a museum kid through and through.
0: How long did you work on that book? It was a, it must have taken a long time, both those books.
2: Actually, it was a pretty speedy really? process. Um, you know, I've been spouting this stuff my whole career and, and working <laughs> on down museum and programs. It. Yeah, wow. and it kind of just wrote itself because, um, you know, they wanted me to do a book on what I wanted kids to know about paleontology. Oh, great! And you know, I made it like a junior field guide, so that when you look through it, you know, there's there's definitely the definitions of like what a fossil is, and um, different dinosaurs we highlighted, and different uh, plants and and invertebrates. I definitely wanted to cover because that's one of the fossils as a kid that you can actively collect and keep. You know, the trilobites right. that yeah, we love yeah. and the ammonites and
1: <laughs> So what's the coolest yes. fossil you've ever collected or seen in, in that mean, in <sighs> your entire career? You must have seen a lot. Oh There's gotta God. be something that is the absolute holy grail. You
2: know, I was thinking about this, this morning actually, and I was I was trying to think about the coolest thing that I've ever found. And there is that one the first fossil that you find, right? So the first dig you ever go on and and the first piece of bone you ever pick up. And and for me, that was out in the Kaparowicz Formation in, in Grand Staircase-Escalante in Utah, some crappy dinosaur bone. But it was the first crappy right. dinosaur bone I saw. Right.
0: Chunk of you know, just, yep.
2: just a little chunk of nothing. And I was like, oh, my God, they're here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, what were you doing out in the Kaparowicz? Was that uh, with the museum group or what?
2: Yeah. So the Kaparowicz Formation was out with the ALF Museum oh, okay. um, because that's a... Uh, uh, a field site that they try to go to every year and you, can you define and the caperowitz
1: its age and
2: sure yeah the caperowitz formation is 75 million years old late-, late cretaceous so it's late campanian and there are dinosaurs there that you would recognize right off the bat but they have funnier names huh. <laughs> so you've got uh Parasaurolophas, Parasaurolophas, are there. mm mm-hmm. you've got um oh gosh teratophonius
1: what? So, what is that? Like
2: the, What's a The strange uh, tyrannosaurs. Um, oh. You've got uh, champsosaurs and big turtles, uh, champsosaurs being crocodilians.
1: So is that on um, the edge of the western seaway? Yes. Oh. Yeah.
2: So this is the other side, yeah. the west yeah. side of the seaway. And then you've got uh, gripposaurs, uh, like, uh, you know, these big, big-nosed hadrosaurs, big kind of... Uh, Oh, gosh, how to describe it?
0: Big, big schnaz. Big. Almost
2: like a horse nose. Yeah, yeah. They're like a very... Oh, like Jar Jar
0: very... <laughs> Yeah.
2: You've got these big noses on these hadrosaurs, and then you've got, uh, oh, gosh, like a whole amazing group of animals. And so the ALF Museum and I were out there, um, you know, looking for, for just about anything. We were working on a few different sites. And the site that we were working on that summer, actually... In 2010 was baby Joe the hadrosaur, Aww. the Parasaurolophus. Oh. So baby Joe if you guys haven't heard is the baby Parasaurolophus that is now the, the only baby Parasaurolophus that's been found. And
0: where is it? Where's it on display?
2: And it resides at the alpha. It pp. is at the alpha oh, I hope to go there yeah. in a couple
0: of weeks. So let me yeah. ask you back to Parasaurolophus since we're mm-hmm. kind of jamming on Parasaurolophus with the baby how big is the crest on the baby?
2: Oh, it's so cute. It's So the baby's head is only about the size of a, uh, like a volleyball, I guess, would be the, the accurate size. It's a pretty small head. And then the interesting thing about this is that when you find a fossil, it doesn't tell you what it is. As scientists, you have to look at the features and determine what exactly makes it the dinosaur that you think it is. And so the hypothesis here was, well, we know it's a hadrosaur. What hadrosaur is it? What hadrosaurs are found in the the Kapirowitz Formation that we can say? Well, let me this wait. Is a let me, let me stop of... you.
1: How do you know it's a hadrosaur? So number one, how do you know it's a hadrosaur? You're looking at a chunk yeah, of skull, a, a whole skull, right? And the whole body. Yeah. Well, can't yeah. you just say, oh, that's a hadrosaur? Because if it's a, is it a complete specimen? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, hadrosaur. Good. Yeah. Step one. So-
2: so step one, it's an herbivore. It's a hadrosaur because you're looking at the the size and shape of the skull. You're looking at the teeth. The teeth yeah. are very distinctive. Right? So very we distinctive. Had, um, yeah. No sharp teeth. We've yeah. got the dental battery that hadrosaurs are known for. Yeah. And then here's the cool part. So they've got it's got a little bump oh. right on the top of its head. So it's not a smooth crest like if you think about the myosaurs we have here in Montana. Um, the babies don't have any ornamentation on their head. It just kind of goes straight back. And this baby hadrosaur had a little bump on the top of its head that looked like a baby parasyrolophus,
1: right. I guess. So, <laughs> so a budding a horn.
0: Well, crest. It's not a horn. A cre- it's, a right, crest, right. it's a crest. Right? right. Nasal crest. Because it goes back. Yeah.
1: Well, and
2: actually, funny you should bring that up, when you look at baby rhinos, when they're born, they're not born with a full-on horn, right? Right. They're born with this, like, little tiny bump on their nose, right. and they look kind of funny. And so for dinosaurs that had these, like, crazy ornamentations, um, you know, now we're kind of seeing that those are features they develop later in life. So
1: is there a series of fossils from baby to adult that shows the horn growing? Or the, sorry, no. sorry, the crest growing?
2: No, not yet. And that's where more research and more field work has to come.
1: Lacking in, in the fossil record.
2: Yeah, we've got Parasaurolophus, like the one on my arm, that's yeah. you know the type <laughs> specimen at the Royal Ontario Museum. Um, but then we have this, this very young baby that is probably most likely 98% Parasaurolophus, unless there's another hadrosaur found in that formation that we haven't found yet, right?
1: You know what I love? <laughs> I love how there's so many maybes. And, and No, really, be, that just leads you to imagination, and there's more things to discover. It's not an end. There's no end to paleontology. It's just so incredible. Yeah, Ray, we're coming up to uh, your question. Are we coming up to
0: my question? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, oh, I've been having such a good time yakking here with you, <laughs> catching up with you, actually, but if you can time travel back, if you could go to your favorite paleo period, to your epic epoch <laughs> what would be what sort of animal what time period would you go to and what would you want to see ashley
2: oh man well there's so many different areas when you're a researcher or, or an educator or a paleo nerd and you think about all these different time periods there's so many things that you can kind of play with and think about and want to imagine. And there's, there's these weird sharks and strange, you know, marine reptiles and all these, you know, odd, odd things. Um, but actually
0: you must choose my... only one.
2: <laughs> no, no, only one. You can
0: choose two if you no, want. No, one. Come on. And then we'll hear about the second one. Only one.
1: I, I Look, okay. I get chocolate and strawberry when I go okay, to the okay. ice cream. Oh, man. Right.
0: I'll be nice. You get one and then maybe one more.
2: Uh, you know for how much i love dinosaurs i that that is that's the easy picking right that's like the low-hanging fruit (laughs) so if i if you could give me a time travel like right now and i could snap my fingers and go back in time it's dunkelosteus i'm
1: sorry
0: oh my god (laughs) that's devonian
2: yeah you know why Why
0: do you want to see that beast
2: okay so dunkelosteus 360 million years ago in the devonian lived where ohio is today yep. and it lived in a world where it was top predator at the time and the sharks were smaller it was bigger it's not a shark it's this weird placoderm thing yep. and the reason i want to go back there is because the way that people depict Dunkleosteus drives me insane to my core okay. um, you mean they depict
1: him as a ferocious predator but they were really nice carp
2: it's skull so when you look at its skull, and the way that people draw the skull Uh they draw the outlines of the bones yeah and and you can't see the outlines of the bones from from the the flesh right there's it'd be like drawing a a human skull and then like putting googly eyes well do we
0: have like (laughs) do we have proof that there's flesh over those big plates
2: there have been studies yeah that that's that's actually not armor, it's their skull. So it'd be like drawing a human skull and then all right. the sutures and so stuff. So actually,
0: in a way, you're sort of calling me out because I'm guilty. No, I'm guilty wait, of this. so you're saying, you're saying. I'm guilty of this.
2: No, you're not. You're I saying am. There's, I, there's, I
0: drew, I've drawn it that way.
1: You're saying there's <laughs> flesh, there's flesh over the placoderm plates? Yep.
2: Yeah. But I want to see what flesh that is, because there's arguments whether or not big predators like that are always countershaded or if they're hot pink and purple. But surely there's Ducleostus
1: in in Lagerstotens. Is it there or no?
2: Well, in the Cleveland Shale, where they're found, it's only the skulls that have been found and a little tiny bit of the postcrania. So we've got some vertebrae and stuff, but, you know, there's no. Actually, that's
0: what's interesting is that that massive fish, all we basically have is the head. So the the body's always been conjecture. But is it? Yes. Let's get this right. Is it Dunkel Ostius? Or is it Dunkley it is
2: Osteus? Dunkle
0: Osteus. Osteus. So it was Professor yep. Dunkel himself. Oh, what did, did I, I say?
1: So I made the, I screwed it up again. Well Dunkleos.
0: No. <laughs> dunkle, is what no, I dunkle, said. Now I'm confused. Dunkle <laughs> Ostius, right? Yeah. Dunkle, dunkle Ostius. Okay. So
2: the, the etymology of the name is so it's it's Dunkel's bone because David Dunkel <laughs> oh, named it after himself. And so it's David oh, Dunkel. Osteus
0: is a bone,
1: right? Got it.
0: Got yeah. It. Okay. So he named it after himself. Osteus. That's actually kind of not cool to do, is it? Back then. I, you back know, back not then, anymore. Back no. then, who cares?
2: But Ray, here's the cool thing. So you've got Dunkelosteus, but then you've got these weird muppety sharks, oh, yeah. these cladocelacci sharks.
0: Which actually turns out, upon closer examination, are really on the holocephalon ratfish side of the tree. So we call them sharks all the time, but they were snack food for Dunkelosteus. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of sad that you and Lee left the Cleveland museum because I think, (laughs) um, and you're now out in dinosaur country because the Cleveland museum, that Cleveland shale has got so many cool stuff. I've actually dreamed Uh, to do a gigantic mural of of, uh, the Devonian there. And, you know, to do the dunk, man. Come out in and see this <laughs> massive, like, this, it's, it's got T-shirt potential. It needs more love. It's so cool. So,
2: it is so cool. Major
0: props to you for calling it out. So what's your Thank number you. two? Wait, your number wait, wait, wait. for that, do you have a, dun- a
1: Dunkolosteus <laughs> expert Uncle that Osteus? we can talk to?
2: Yes, Lee, my husband. Oh. oh.
0: Okay, he's on.
1: Okay.
2: So he specialized in Dunkelostius bite marks on Dunkelastius. Oh,
0: okay. Score, right. score, score. Okay. I did not know that about Lee. All right. All right. So he's moved way right. up on the Hey, so put a man right on that, Ray. I got I,
2: I, I think I think you know some guys. I know yeah. some
0: people. I know a guy who knows a guy. Um yeah. and your second choice.
2: All right, second choice. I'm gonna go with uh Late Cretaceous. Um, parasaurolophus, big surprise, and as darkids. I
1: want to see what, what those giant pterosaurs looked like. An as darkid is a flying reptile. What, what What? do you mean? It's uh, the giant ones,
2: yep. th- giraffe
1: sized
0: right.
2: flying murder birds,
0: like Cessna, like Catsup
2: but they're not birds, so I yeah. shouldn't say right. murder yeah. bird. And actually, Sue the T Rex has that. Uh,
1: well, that we call title, bees so. spicy raisins, so spicy <laughs> flying raisins.
0: Mm.
2: So, yeah, late Cretaceous, late Campanian, Hadrosaurs, Tyrannosaurs, um, sort of think of like a, like Florida swamp with dinosaurs mixed in.
1: I want to see what that looks like. Let me get some clarification here. Campanian is an age within the Cretaceous yes. epoch. And the Correct. Cretaceous is an epoch, right?
0: No, it's a period.
1: It's a period. period. Okay. Got it? How <laughs> many... Ages are in the Cretaceous period, just approximately 20, 30, are there lots,
0: right? Let's just put it at lots. I don't know.
1: Okay, lots. I don't know. A lot. Great.
0: (laughs) No worries. No worries.
1: Okay, here's some more info. The Cretaceous period stretched from 165 to 66 million years ago and is made up of 12 ages. Now, the Campanian age that Ashley keeps referring to is the second to the last age of the late Cretaceous, which ends when that space rock came down and ended the reign of the dinosaurs. Then the age of mammals began, and we humans appear in the blink of a geologic eye and invent cheeseburgers. My question is a bit more serious. I think your achievements in paleontology are awesome, and your contribution to the field is really, really commendable. I mean, you're really young and you've done so much, and you don't have a Ph.D., so tell us, why does the world think you need a PhD to be a paleontologist? You certainly don't.
2: Yeah. You know, we are, we're fighting against history and time. And, you know, from the days of Edward Drinker Cope and, you know, Charles Marsh, you know, these were two paleontologists that were going head to head, had very specific degrees, right, from Yale and and these, you know, Ivy League institutions, you know, we're coming coming into a world where paleontology is not just academia. It is museum education. It is mitigation where you're working on fossils at construction sites. You know, you're working in all these different disciplines and, and K through 12. And um, my gosh, there's uh, BLM and, and state land and all these different, you know, national organizations you can work for. And so, um, you know, I think Right now, destigmatizing paleontology and the fact that you have to have a PhD is really important. And you can make contributions to your field and not even have a degree. Oh my God! There's there's paleo nerds and paleontologists that we work with out in the field that have certainly contributed more dinosaurs that I will ever find or name, um, and they have dinosaurs named after them already. Right. You know, and so you've got these really important—we um, call them amateur paleontologists, but they're more paleontologists than some paleontologists I know. So it's really
1: a stigma, so, isn't it?
2: Yeah. And Jack Horner, for example, you guys had Jack on, and and he's—he did not complete a degree.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's
2: like one of the top paleontologists. Yeah, yeah.
1: So. Well, awesome. You know, you've uh, you've done incredible. It's it's incredible. Thank you.
2: Yeah.
0: And Ashley is. You're very present on uh, social media, and you have a you are known as Lady Naturalist, right? On in- yeah. Instagram, and do you do Twitter and the whole deal? You know, I, yeah. I'm a Instagram, boomer. Instagram, Twitter, so I,
2: Facebook. So you do it all.
0: So <laughs> yeah, uh, we blame social media for a lot of untruths and a lot of just ugly. Actually, my name has gotten a different connotation now because of the old internet. You know? I want to take back troll, you know? Wait, you
1: mean you're not just an ugly... Oh! You're not just an ugly man under the bridge?
0: Yeah, no, no. So, I, I like to think trolls, you know, they're, they're these cool mythical creatures, you yeah. know, and also to troll is to fish, and to troll is also to yeah. thing. But now it means something really kind of ugly and dark on the internet. Do you, from... T- because you've been out in social media from the, from the very beginning, and you have a big following, yeah. do you... Well, pardon the use of my my name do you get trolled ever i mean do you get some ugly stuff that comes your way
2: you know it's really strange i have not
0: all right good. um
2: i don't know what it is i don't know why i used to get kind of dms and stuff from guys would be like hey you're hot like what's up or whatever like we all do
1: yeah but your instagram posts are really awesome i mean there are they're works of art they're beautiful thank no, you thanks I saw there was one, it was like just grasses and like in the background, out of focus is like a T-Rex head. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Really cool.
2: Yeah. You know, it's, it's really important to engage, engage everyone in paleontology. And that's what I love about it is that everyone has heard of dinosaurs or ancient animals and, and it's something that people find fascinating. And if you can work in like little facts here and there, right, that's, what's fun about being an informal educator is is sort of taking people, giving them a little bit to, to think about, and then, you know, hopefully you've, you've hooked them, right? It's kind of like fishing, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> Run the.
2: You kind of put the bait out there. Put the bait, put the out, bait there. out
0: there and they'll bite on it. Hey, do you get to go on a dino dig or anything this summer since so you and Lee are out there in dinosaur land?
2: Yeah, I think I do. It's been tough with COVID, but, you know, because I'm staff now, I get to to head out with the, with the crew here in a little bit, and we're going to hopefully get some... Uh, some good dinosaurs back to the museum this year
0: one one more question. I know we're trying to wrap it up, but I keep coming up with these other things. I get asked a lot by friends you know how I want to go on a dinosaur dig. How do I do it? yeah, and I'm sure yeah. you get asked it all the time. What do you tell people? Maybe we can help out here in the paleo nerds absolutely,
2: yeah, so as as a paleo educator, you know we get asked this all the time, you know, where can I go, and we certainly um welcome people out on digs all across the country, and so You know, there are certainly digs that are are more accessible than others. And if anyone is looking for digs, you certainly should go out with a museum. Um, There are lots of pay to digs, and they charge way too much. So
1: contact your um, local museum for a volunteer position type thing?
2: Yeah, and if I could throw out a couple couple names that I know right now, Um, you know, there's actually a really good um, series of digs in the West. So if people are traveling out West, of course, where dinosaurs are found. The Dinosaur Journey Museum in Fruta, Colorado uh, hosts like day long, three day long, um, and longer digs that people can drop in on. We'll have that link Um, on our website. Yeah, Wyoming Dinosaur Center, the um, Museum in Bynum. Oh gosh, is it the Dinosaur Center? I
1: think so, yeah. I should know. Where's Bynum? (laughs) Is that in
2: Bynum, Montana? Montana, Right. Yeah, our friend Corey Coverdell runs those digs out there. And then um, there are. Uh, a number of institutions, like the Alf Museum, our friends out there, they take their students out every year, um, and so yeah, there's a there's a handful across the country, especially um, uh, our friends in North Dakota at the North Dakota Geological Survey. North Dakota has an amazing series of Late Cretaceous digs and others that you can go on throughout the summer, and you can sign up through their website. Brilliant. Yeah. So hopefully everyone can get, get out there at some point. Hopefully you guys can come out with us to the, to Egg Mountain at some point.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I want I'm a sure. baby myosaur. Fine. <laughs> that will then go into the museum. Yeah. So, you know,
2: what's fun about Egg Mountain? There's, there's lots of copper light out there. Too. Oh Really?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh, oh, oh the straight poop. There it is. Well, <laughs> Ashley, thank you so much.
1: What a great interview. And, um, Fantastic!
0: Thank you so much, and uh, Warren Lee, we're going to be calling him up and talk, talking about the Big D. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, a real pleasure to reconnect with you, and um you've done so well. And I'm looking forward to crossing paths again in person sometime. Awesome. so
2: And Ray, I have to say, everyone that comes in my office asks where I got this crazy big map on my wall. So I'm spreading the good word. All right, awesome! I love you guys. Thank you for what you're doing.
0: See you, Ashley. Well, that was really, really cool. Yeah, you know, Ashley is doing some pretty cool stuff. And uh, it was very interesting that you asked that PhD question, too, because, you know, I mean, she's it's new aspects of paleontology. And, um, you know, you and I are also uh, elderly sort of gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. true. And uh yes. She's a millennial, and we are boomers, and uh, yeah. it's cool to see. Boy, my son sure reminds me of that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Any, anything I do wrong or make a mistake, I'm labeled a boomer.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, boomer. But anyways, yeah. Ashley is uh, taking paleo to a new level with a new generation, and she is the new generation yeah. of educators and outreach communicators. And
1: But she did remind us that uh, Jack Horner doesn't have a phd and remember he he didn't
0: because of uh his severe dyslexia, yeah, dyslexia. Yeah. and uh you know it actually makes me wonder am i a paleontologist you know in a way yeah know.
1: of course you are are you kidding of course you are ray <laughs> i i
0: hey, do i i don't think of myself that way i think of myself as an you artist are. No, so. you are no you
1: are You are. What what I thought of this podcast idea in the depths of my despair of having nothing to do during (laughs) the COVID, right? I thought, you know what? I want to talk. I want to do a podcast with Kirk Johnson. I went, no,
0: I want to do it with Ray. Well, thanks, Dave. But hey, I mean, if you want to just explore this idea for a moment, I mean, paleontology, there's degrees and literally a degree in paleontology and PhDs in paleontology. Like if you go to the doctor you want a medical doctor, right? So right. they've got the degree. So do we have to treat paleontology like that? I mean, there's these different levels, is all I'm saying, you know?
1: Yeah, but I think that someone with a doctorate deserves the respect of the amount of time and effort that went into getting that doctorate. You just don't, you just don't do an online course and you
0: get a PhD. Right, right, right. And we've had...
1: No, it's a serious, it's the, it's the highest level of education. And is is a master's after a doctorate? Or before, before, before. Okay, so you may not have a PhD, and you can still be a paleontologist, but I think we still have to make sure that someone with a PhD gets the respect that they deserve. Yeah, you know, and
0: actually, um, I have a master's degree, a master of fine arts, and I was given an honorary doctorate degree uh by the University of Alaska Southeast. And uh you know, actually yeah.
1: And yeah, you tried to write a prescription I, did, uh, I went, no, sorry, sorry. Rick. No, but that sorry, was a again. that no, was a great
0: change. honor to get that. And you know, Jack yeah. Corner yeah. Jack Corner's got an honorary doctorate, I guess. So
1: And I will admit I only have uh a high school education and one year of college.
0: That's right. That's right. And look at all you've done. Look at all I've done. Yes. Anyways, it was a really good interview with Ashley. I'm really glad you got to meet her. Um,
1: And and all the cool stuff we talked about is going to be on her page at paleonurge.com. And again, please like us on iTunes and come to our Facebook page. If you have any questions, comments, anybody you want to uh, have us interview, please let us know. We do read all your comments. And uh, we thank you for listening.
0: Good as always. And um, had fun. And learn. That's what I love about this. I'm always learning. Yeah. Lifelong learners.
1: So I'm going to sign off from beautiful Ohio, California, where with only two rain events, we are going to be entering a very serious drought.
0: And you? Signing off from Ketchikan, Alaska, where it's constantly kind of moist. So <laughs> constantly <laughs> moist, perpetually moist, Ketchikan. All right. Uh, and I'm proverbially Dry. dry. There you have it, the balance, the Uh, yin,
1: the yank. Till next week, Ray. we got a great guest next
0: week. Yeah, we do. uh, We will uh, talk to you later. See you, man.
2: Bye. Thanks for being a paleo nerd. Help us spread the word of science. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can even email your questions and comments to nerds at nerds.com. Did you know each episode is paired with pictures and links? Check out paleonerds.com for photographic evidence that everyone here has been a paleo nerd for a long, long time.